Times. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. I'm going to pray and get things started. Father, thanks for your presence and thank you for uh, being here tonight with us. We ask that you would lead us, guide us, empower us. Pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us. Ask God that we would have ears to hear and an open heart and open mind to receive what you want to say. God, I just ask that you would bring revelation our way tonight. I pray new things. Uh, different things, uh, that things maybe that we'd never seen or heard before, but I ask you, God, that we would receive, uh, receive of you and receive of your Holy Spirit. So we ask that you have your way tonight, pray that you be glorified, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you uh, have your Bibles, let's open up to Deuteronomy chapter 11. If you need a Bible, you can take one off the table here. Uh, there's a few Bibles spread out on the tables, and you can feel free to use that Bible. Uh, if you need a Bible for home, also feel free to take that with you. We obtain Bibles to give away, and you can have it. While you're opening up to Deuteronomy 11, just a quick reminder that we have an interactive feature for our podcast listeners uh, through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. That's all one word. Go to that page, and there'll be a button there you can toggle, and leave us a message. It'd be the same as leaving a voicemail, uh, where you can ask us a question, you can make comments, say hello, let us know where you're from, uh, it could be anything, a greeting. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'd love to uh, know you're listening to the podcast. Uh, it's always interesting to hear from people that do listen, and so if you're so inclined, head on over to that website, and... Leave us a message. Deuteronomy chapter 11. I need a volunteer to read verses 26 and 27. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. Alright. What's that? Okay. Thank you. So as you look at those verses, it starts off with a couple of words there. Uh, your version said, see, is where it started off. Anybody else to start with something else? A different phrase? Okay, another version that I was reading uh, earlier this week started off with, listen to me. Uh, basically what the, the writer's trying to do is to get people's attention. He starts to say, okay, well, you pay attention to this. See? Take a look. Give me your attention. Avert your gaze from whatever you're looking at. Look at me, is what he's saying. So he said, listen. And, and it's what he's trying to do is get uh, the people that he's speaking to, the people he's writing to, to really listen to what he's saying and to pay attention to what he's saying. What's the difference between hearing and listening? Listening, you do more intently. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's attention and comprehension. In other words, uh, if you're listening to someone... You're actually paying attention to what they're saying. Yeah, you, you, a lot of times we hear noises, and we don't really articulate what those noises are. That, that would not be unusual. Uh, also, uh, we are in the presence of people that are talking. But if I was to quiz you, what are they talking about? You may not know. You could hear the sound of their voice. You can hear that there's something going on around you. But if you're not listening to what they're saying you really can't articulate what it is they're talking about. Do you see the difference? Do you understand the difference between those two things? And so what God was saying here, what the writer is saying here is that you need to listen. You need to pay attention. You need to be able to comprehend and understand what's being said. You need to be able to articulate what's being said. I'm a firm believer, and I felt this way for a long time. If you can't explain something, then you don't know it. All right? And, uh, and I know people will disagree with that. I've had plenty of people disagree with me about that. But as far as I'm concerned, if you can't tell me 
If you can't tell me what's being said or you can't tell me what you're thinking, then you really don't know. And there's something about that process of being able to articulate something, that process of being able to put into words that which you are thinking, that's what's being formulated or whatever's happening around you, there's something about that process that tells those around you that you understand what's being said. You understand what, what the meaning is or you understand or you at least have some kind of a comprehension of what's going on. You may be wrong, but at least you heard something. At least you were listening to something and able to form a thought about it. Right? And so what the, what the writer here is telling, what he's encouraging these people is that, well, listen. Listen. And that means to, to really put your mind toward what's being said. That means to really put your heart toward what's being said. It really means that we're going to pay attention and actually take it in. Uh, try to comprehend it, at least. Listen. The other part of that is not only putting our attention toward it and our comprehension toward it, but also not to harden our hearts. And that's another issue that maybe we can listen to the words, but if your heart is hardened, it's hard to receive those words. The, the Bible talks about, and Jesus talked about, the Word of God and how we receive the Word of God. And he used a parable to talk about it, and that was the sower. And if you remember the parable of the sower, he went out to sow some seeds, and he threw the seeds, and they scattered where they scattered. And then he describes a different kind of ground that the seeds were scattered upon. And does it, the different ground there, it says, well... Some fell on the, the good soil, and they sprung up, and they actually produced fruit. But he said some fell on rocky soil, and they sprung up for a season, but they couldn't take root, and so they dried up and they died. Some fell into the thorns, and after a while it grew up for a little while, but after a while it got choked out and it died. And, and so he's, he's describing some fell on the hard ground, the path that had been trodden by people, and the ground was so hard that the seed really couldn't go anywhere or find anything, and so that seed didn't grow either. And so all the different types of soil are important to how the seed is able to take root or not take root in us. Well, Jesus describes, well, the seed is the Word of God. The seed is the Word. And so our heart condition is an important part of us being able to really listen to God, really listen and take in the word that he has for us. And so if our heart is hardened, then that seed just bounces off. It doesn't really take root. It doesn't really have any effect on us whatsoever. That even if it gets into our brain or it gets into us somehow, if our heart is hardened, there's nowhere for it to really take root. There's nowhere for it to grow. There's nowhere for it to really produce any fruit. And so the word just is lying dead in us. And it just dies off. And that was what Jesus was teaching through this, is that we need to be aware of our heart condition. Uh, are we hardened? Are we soft? Are we tilled up and ready? I mean, the condition of the ground matters. Have you guys ever planted a garden? Right? What do you got to do before you plant the garden? Yeah, you dig it up. You dig it up. And whether you use a shovel to dig it up, or you got the garden weasel to <laughs> dig it up, or, or, I mean, you got a rototiller, Whatever it is, I mean, you got to somehow get that soil turned up and then you got to get the soil moving and softened so that it can receive. Now, the last couple of years of my high school experience, I lived on a farm and it was a vegetable farm. And so after a certain time of year, I mean, the whole winter, the, uh, the guy that I lived with, he was an older farmer and they had raised their family. They just took me in as a favor and... The older farmer, he would just sleep during the winter most of the time. You know, I'd walk in and be watching guiding, guiding Light sleeping on the couch after school when I get home. But, man, as soon as the weather broke and as soon as the, the snow was melted and as soon as it was possible, he was up and he was tilling up the ground. And that guy worked from God only knows what time in the morning. He was up way before I was until it was dark at night during the summertime. And then he'd get up and he would go... To, to market, he would, he would take his uh, vegetables to different 
tops uh, supermarkets, and then he would go down to the main market in Buffalo and sell his vegetables. Then he'd come back, and as soon as he'd come back, he would just hit the ground running, and he'd be out on the tractor, or he'd be in the field somewhere. And I worked for him all summer, man, so I saw the guy all the time. I just worked, worked, worked. But the first thing every year what had to happen is, man, that soil had to be made ready. And those fields had to be made ready so that those seeds could be planted so he could make the money he needed to make in order to get through the year. That's the way it works. And so first things first is right here. And so if we're going to listen up. Moses says, listen up. And so he's saying, listen up to us. And, and I want you to hear that. But I want you to hear it as more than just listen up, more than just turn your attention because that's part of it. But there needs to be some good soil in us for that seed to be planted. For it really to mean anything. You have the best seed in the world, you throw it on hard ground, it's not, there's nothing going to happen. There's nowhere to go. And so, you know, we, we need to have the ground ready. And, and I want you to hear that encouragement in the beginning of what this says about listening to him. That we would listen to his voice today today. Then he says that he is setting something. He sets before them something here. And we'll look at what he sets before them. But even just the idea of setting something before us is the idea of proposing it for our consideration and choice. He's speaking to our minds that he's saying, well, you can make a decision. And what's the, what's the choice? Well, we're going to look at the choice but I, I'm, always, I'm always fascinated by uh, the God of the universe giving us choices all the time. I'm just fascinated by it. And some of you have a hard time with that. Some people that I, I talk to, some people I've worked with over the years, they have a really hard time with choices. They just want to be told what to do. And as people, I, I think sometimes that there's a, a comfort in just being told what to do. And And so... You know, we, we look to that, and we, we listen for that, and we look for that instruction and that comfort in that, and yet that's not really how God does things. He didn't create us to be a bunch of robots. He didn't create us to be just a, a bunch of people that, that have no understanding or no choice in the things that he calls us to and the things that he speaks over our lives to do. And so there's always that choice. And people have, have over the years begun to understand that I, I, don't, I don't really believe in telling people what to do. And so I'll give somebody a choice. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. And you can't get mad at somebody. All right? They're just going to make their choice. And, and most of the time with the choices that we have in our life, the, the consequences of our choices are clear. They don't, they don't have to be necessarily spelled out all the time. The only issue with us is that we need to learn from those bad choices. In other words, if we make a poor choice and we face the consequences of it, we need to learn from that. So that next time we get that choice and it comes up again, what should be our new choice? Whatever we didn't do last time. All right, You got a clear choice between A or B. You chose B. Consequences of your actions weren't good. So the choice comes up again, A or B. What should be your choice? A. Let's give it a shot, right? Right? Let's give it a shot. Because if you're just going to keep choosing B over and over and over and over again, nothing changes. Consequences are consequences. Life is life. And there you go again. Right through whatever it was you went through the last time, you're going through it again, and you'll go through it again, and you'll go through it again, and you'll go through it again until God somehow, by his grace, intervenes. And one day, one day, God help us, we say, A, and we make a different choice, and we move on. There's something powerful about getting a hold of that. I know what I just said sounds so simple and so ridiculous that it's hard for some of you to conceive, well, why would you choose B again? And that's my question. Why would you? Why do we? And some of us have a harder time with this than others. 
But part of the reason I already covered at the beginning of what I'm teaching here, part of the reason we'll keep choosing B is part of the issue that I covered in Listen to Me. Because part of the issue is a hard heart. Part of the issue is your stubbornness. Part of the issue is your pride. That you will make the same decision over and over and over again because you don't want to admit you're wrong. And so for as long as you can think about it, you'll take that square peg and you'll try to hammer it into that round hole no matter what. Because that's what goes in there. When the reality of it is you're just wrong. And it's okay to be wrong, learn from it, make a different decision next time. That's wisdom. That is a life that's growing and a life that's alive. And the, the, our hearts need to be nice and soft. Our spirit needs to be nice and soft to receive God's word, to receive the choice that we have. And if we make the wrong choice, then we can make the right choice the next time. As long as we stay soft and as long as we stay open, as long as we stay willing. But if we let pride rule, we may end up making the same mistake over and over again. If we let our stubbornness rule, we may make up the same mistakes over and over and over again. There's no growth in that. There's no peace in that. There's no joy in that. There's just the grind of doing something over and over again. That's no fun. That's not abundant living. But you can make that choice. You're free to make that choice over and over again. God's encouraging us towards something else. He's making a proposition to us. He's giving us a, a consideration, a, a choice. He's saying, here's the deal. And here's what I have for you. And here, here's why this is good. He even sometimes explains it. Not always, but sometimes. And he gives us the opportunity to consider it and the opportunity to choose. In this particular passage, the, the choice is between two things. What two things? He says, I offer you what? Or two things. A blessing and a curse. Hmm. And when you think about it, it's like, hmm. Why is this a hard decision? <laughs> no, I mean, really, why is this a hard decision? And I want you to think about it for a second. It's like, offer you a blessing or a curse? I don't know. What are you going to do, Tim? You know, and I mean, I mean, no, you don't have to answer that. What I'm, what, what I'm getting at is this idea is that there's blessing and cursing. Literally what he says, I'm offering you blessing and cursing. That's what he's offering them. And it, it's more like, a, it's more like a, a thing that's going on and on. In other words, blessing or cursing, this is what I'm offering you. And, and really, the, the words blessing and curse... They sum up all the arguments for obedience. Because that's what he's offering them. See, what he's saying to them is that I'm going to tell you this is how you live. This is, I'm going to give you, this is how you live. And you can do it, there's a blessing in that, or you can choose not to do it, and there's a curse in that. So you can obey what I'm telling you, or you can do whatever you want, Blessing, curse. Blessing, curse. Now, we don't always see it this way. And we don't like these kind of decisions in our lives. We don't like things to be drawn like with this stark a line. And it's interesting that he does draw it that way. And, and he said to him, he's like, listen up. Don't harden your heart to this. And I know in our human nature, we don't like it that way. We don't like it this or that. We'd rather it be somewhere in the middle with some of this and some of that. Or a little of this and a lot of that. Or a lot of that and a little of this. We like it that way. But that's, that's not what he's offering them. That wasn't the offer that was put out there. The offer that was put out there is that you get, you get some blessing or you get some cursing. 
That's what you got. Up to you. For your consideration, this is what the blessing looks like. This is what's expected of you. For your consideration, this is what the curse is like. And this is what is expected of you in the curse or what you need to do in order to obtain all of the prizes of the curse. So, what do you want to do? And you'll make that decision, not just one time in your life, but you'll make that decision throughout your life. This isn't just a one-time decision where, okay, I want the blessing. Well, good, now you got to go out and live that. That's awesome. You, that's a great decision. I want that too. Now let's live it out. Well, that's where the hard part comes in. The mental assent to saying, yeah, that's what I want, that's not the hard part. All right, that's why it's a silly thing when you put it out this way. Blessing or curse, which one do you want? Well, you make a mental decision right there. And you're like, oh, well, definitely the blessing. All right, so, but, but that's not really the issue. The real issue is that, okay, now we're going to go live this. That we're going we're gonna to get out and we're actually going to go live this somehow, some way. And so what does that look like? Well, obedience, obedience sometimes isn't something that you want to do, all right? And sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do. Sometimes it's not the most fun thing to do. Sometimes it's not the, even the most interesting thing to do. Sometimes the disobedience or doing something else would be more interesting. Well, but that's why we don't live according to our own standard, and this is what I, I want to say this really clearly to you. We do not live by our own standard, even morally. Because what standard would apply? What moral standard that you can possibly hold in your brain applies to the Word of God in your life? I want you to think about that for a second. What moral standard did Abraham possess personally in him when, he told, when God told him to go and sacrifice his son Isaac? On a mountain. None greater than God. None. Because even in Abraham's day, even in that time of primitive faith, in that time where there, was, there, were, there were laws that, that were part of the land and everything, everybody understood murder was wrong. Everybody got that part. There wasn't anybody confused about that. Everybody knew that. That was the way life was lived. It's been lived for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And yet the God of the universe came to Abraham and said, this is what I want you to do. Abraham didn't live by his own standards. He lived by God's. He had made the decision, listen up, don't harden your heart. This is how you live. And this is where the blessing is. So he took his son and he went and he did what God had called him to do. At least he went through it as far as God allowed him to do. And he would have done it. He would have. God took that faith that Abraham showed that day and blessed him and his descendants more abundantly than he could ever receive. Because there's blessing in obedience. There just is. That you don't always understand it. You don't always know what the outcome is. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. It's not always the most interesting thing. It's not always the easiest thing. It's definitely not always the most convenient thing. But as we will keep our hearts soft, as we will keep our minds open, our spirits pliable, we'll see some great things if we can obey. Almost every great thing, if you can call anything I've ever done great, almost every great thing that I've ever done is an act of obedience. I can't think of any that aren't. And most of them are acts of obedience that were things that I would never have chosen to do, I would have never decided to do, and I would have never thought they would result in what they did. And yet they did. Because my smarts my morality, my experience is not enough for me to contradict God and his will for my life. They're just not. And I made that decision a long time ago when I was a, a young, young believer. 
that I understood I needed to do what God told me to do. Am I perfect with that? Absolutely not. But I can point to the times when I have, point to things that if I explain to you what I did now, they seem weird as all get out. But God bless those things, and that's where great things had happened in my life. That's what they happened. That's where it was. I was thinking the other day of a, a time I was in Brazil, and uh, we were doing clowning. Uh, we had been asked to go there as part of a children's crusade. Uh, it was a big, big crusade in the interior of Brazil. It was about eight hours from Sao Paulo. And as we went by bus into the interior, and there was a huge tent. It, was, it sat 5,000 people. That's how big the tent was. And uh, we were asked there by a missionary. He was working with local churches. Uh, this thing was all over the news, the media, the radio, the television, newspapers, everything. Uh, I got there thinking we were just all clowning. And when I got there, the guy's like, oh, I want you to speak, too. I want you to preach. Well, I didn't even have anything. I had clown stuff. You know, and, and whatever. And I'm like, well, you need to have a sport coat and a tie and I think I don't even have that <laughs> at home but anyway and so they they found the biggest sport coat they could and a tie that didn't go around my neck and I, so I had a tie about this long and a double-breasted sport coat I couldn't even close and uh got up to preach but before we started and I don't know, I can't remember how this came to pass, but there was this one moment we were standing outside and it was raining and it was windy and the weather was really bad and it was supposed to stay bad and it looked like it was going to mess with the attendance for the crusade and everything. And I just stood outside that tent and I felt like God told me, was like, rebuke this storm. Just rebuke it out loud. And it wasn't to yourself. It wasn't like some little thing I was going to do. And it would just be me and God. So if it didn't work, it wouldn't matter. It was like, you know, stand out there and do it. And just say it. Proclaim it. And I did. And clouds broke and the sun came out. And But it, something else happened in that moment that I can't explain. In that something broke over those meetings. And, and all of a sudden there was this release of the Holy Spirit that was powerful powerful uh where people we were understanding people speaking in portuguese or we were given supernatural abilities to speak in portuguese over people uh i just one of the girls on our team was given words over people in portuguese she thought she was praying in tongues she didn't none of us knew portuguese and and i was being translated by a guy and and i was preaching and at one point as i was preaching I, I said something, and I usually keep my words really simple when I'm being uh, translated. And and the guy stopped because he didn't know the word for it. And I looked at him. I gave him the word in Portuguese. I just said it, and he just started laughing. Because he knew I didn't know any Portuguese, right? And it's like, well, this is the Holy Spirit. And there was just all kinds of awesome things that happened there. But there's a moment where that happens. You know, it, things went so well, they had us going to other churches, even on that trip. We were visiting other churches and giving me opportunity. I was prophesying over churches, and, and all these things were happening. And uh, there was one night, and I've told this story before, but just really quickly, I, I, I fell asleep during a church service. I was so tired. They were worshiping in Portuguese, and again, I don't speak Portuguese. And so I was sitting up front on the, on the platform, the platform, we don't have a platform. But these churches have platforms because they're big. I mean, there's like you know, 2,000 people in the church or whatever. I was up on the platform. I just fell asleep during worship. I, I couldn't stay awake. I was tired, all that clowning. And, uh, and so I woke up, and I had a dream while I was asleep. And I woke up, and I got up, and I just shared the dream. That was, that was my message. It was a prophetic word to this dream. And, and the whole church just, just started, I mean, like, it was craziness. 
The craziness. The church, they, they just stopped the service. The church started, people started wailing and crying and repenting and coming down to the front. It was some word that meant something to them. I had no idea. No clue. No clue. It seemed as silly as anything to me. And yet that was what they needed to hear, and it was a direct word for them. And so they were just crying and weeping down front at the church. That was the whole service. Something, something about being soft and willing and obedient. It sums up, blessing and curse sums up the arguments for obedience. Yeah, those two words. And there's such a blessing in obedience, such a blessing. And so we get a choice. We get a choice. And in a real sense, the, the gospel sets, uh, really sets before us a blessing and a curse too. Well, how, how do I mean? Well, it's the simplicity of the gospel, that the idea that uh, we obey the call, we obey the call to change in our life, you know, that's called repentance, we believe, we get a newness of heart and life, and it's all good. There's a blessing, all that's a blessing, right? And there's obedience to that call that we answer. And whether we believe first or we obey first or we obey first or believe first or whatever it is you want to believe about that, doesn't matter. That obedience is part of the answer to the call. I mean, those guys that, that Jesus called when he was calling the disciples, and he's going around and he said, hey, come and follow me. Talking to Andrew and Peter, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They didn't just look at him and say, I believe you. Because they did, apparently, because what happened was is that they dropped their nets and they followed him. See, there's the obedience part of it. It wasn't just, I believe you, Jesus. You can move on now. <laughs> and, and the Christian faith isn't like that. That's not what we're called to. We're called to just be, like, give assent to Jesus like, yes, you're absolutely correct. Now leave me alone. That is not how it works. The way it works is, is that there's a call in our lives. The way it works is that we're being called into his presence. We're being called into a closer place with him. We're being called toward change. We're being called toward deeper faith. We're being called toward a renewing and a newness of heart. And it just doesn't happen once. Abundant life doesn't just happen one day. But it's something that we're learning to live in. It's something that we're learning to cultivate in our lives. To live in an abundance. To live in a blessing. To live in something that's more than just the mundane. And it doesn't matter where you live and it doesn't matter what you have. That's not even the point. Some of the, the, the most vibrant believers I've ever met... You know, living in West Africa or living in poverty and some of the other places that we've been. Destitute with nothing and yet they live vibrantly. They live abundantly. Maybe not in the sense that you might think of abundance, but they have an abundance of joy. Or they have an abundance of peace. Or they have an abundance of purpose in life. And they've cultivated that and they live in it. And there's joy in it. And the curse part of the gospel, see, that's the blessing part. Well, how does the gospel set a curse for us? Just neglect it. Just don't do anything about it. That's the curse. The curse comes when you just neglect the gospel. You, you neglect the call. You neglect the, the call to change in your life. You, you neglect to, to cultivate any kind of faith in your life or any kind of new, newness or renewal of heart in your life, and you just die. You spiritually die. There's a curse in that. And in order to get that, you just need to do nothing. Just, just straight up do nothing. And I want to encourage you not to put yourself ever into a place where that's okay. Please. Never put yourself into a place where it's just okay to do nothing. 
Don't surround yourself with people that, that to them it's okay to sit around and do nothing. Do not put yourself into a situation with other believers where it's okay to do nothing. I don't care how they justify it. I don't care what they tell you it's about or how it is or whatever. I've been around people like that. Sounds good. Oh, you mean I don't have to do anything? Perfect. Perfect. Nope, all set. All set. Good. All right. All set for what? Death? All set for death. Yeah, my chemistry teacher in high school... She told me something one time. She looked like Yoda. <laughs> Mrs. Staff. She did. She looked like Yoda. I didn't do very well in her class, but I do remember this. She said, the day you don't learn something new, Andy, that's the day you die. Read something, would you? <laughs> yes, ma'am. So you don't have to do much to, to get, you don't have to do anything to get the curse part of it. Do nothing. Do nothing. Just sit around, die. Yeah. That's where the nothing is. That's where the curse is. Is right there. Now, obedience for us brings blessing. Now, I find that interesting in this verse, and in the verses... They go on afterwards. The idea is that their days would be multiplied. And there was a reality to something. They, they were coming into the, the promised land. And the reality of them coming into the promised land is this, that they already had a promise. That's why it's called the promised land. It was promised to them. In other words, Abraham had received a word, and that was wherever the, the soles of his feet had tread, that was the land that was going to be given to his descendants. And so that had immediately taken place, at least to a certain extent, that he and his descendants had lived on that land, at least to the third generation. But then famine came, and they ended up leaving their inheritance. They left their land, and they went to Egypt. And in Egypt, they multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and were slaves. And after 400 years of vacating their land, now think about that for a second. Think about it. It'd be like us vacating 400 years, and then you're going to come back. Anybody going to be happy you're coming back? No, they filled in the, you know, they already took over your farm, okay? Nobody's waiting around for 400 years for you to get back. Nobody's recognizing your boundary markers. Nobody's recognizing that you own this land. Nobody's recognizing any of that stuff before. And so you don't have any physical presence in that land, but there's something spiritual about it. And that is God said it. And so their very return to this land was a work of obedience to go back and to believe God at what he said, that this is theirs. That's what they went back for. It was them saying, okay, God, I believe you. I believe and I trust in you that this is my land. This is our land. We're going back. We're going to get it. That was their decision. That obedience was going to un unleash, unlock that blessing that had been given to Abraham. But they had to go get it. There's, been, there's blessings that, that God's proclaimed over us, over you, over me. Blessings that you can read about in the Bible where he blesses his people. And he says, this is what your life is going to look like. Well, we need to get a hold of that, right? We need to obey. There's some blessings that are conditional. It's like, if you do this, I will do that. We need to unlock that. We need to get it. Well, it's done through obedience. So obedience to the condition, the blessing comes. The blessing comes. You know, there's one commandment with a condition on it. You remember what that is of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, honor your father and your mother. If you do that, then things will go well with you, Right? And, and there's a blessing that's associated with it. And so to unlock that blessing, what is your work of obedience? To honor your father and your mother. 
And that work of obedience will unlock that blessing. There's other things like that through the scriptures. The precondition for uh, who we are in Christ is our faith. That we believe. And our belief is then translated into action. Into the very obedience that God calls us to. And by doing that, there's, an un, there's a releasing of blessing over us, a releasing of provision over us, a releasing of, of more than we can even contain over us, if we'll do it. And that's what obedience does. It brings blessing. In this particular case, it says their days would be multiplied. I like that. Not just added. I mean, added is good, right? But multiplied is better. Even if it's a low number, like times two, good one, right? <laughs> good one. Times two is awesome. I mean, that's double, right? That's the, that's the beauty of multiplication, right? Like That's like compound interest, right? That, it just keeps going. It's a good thing. So it's not just adding. It's not what he said. It wasn't just be added. It's like, well, this would be multiplied to you. All right. All right. Let's, let's release that. Let's unlock that. Because the other side of it is the disobedience. And that disobedience is a curse. It's just a curse. By its very nature, it's a curse. Well, what if I thought I was doing the right thing? Doesn't matter. Well, what if it seemed like the right thing to me? Don't care. Well, well what, what if I, I thought it would be better for everybody if I did it this way? No. No. Nope. No. Because whatever you think is fine, dandy, and maybe that serves you well in certain things, but that doesn't serve you well when it comes to what God says. It just doesn't. Because someone bigger and smarter is saying something else. Get over it. Get over it. Someone with more experience, someone who knows the beginning from the end, someone who's omnipotent, someone who's omniscient says something. You don't, you don't agree with it? Change your mind. You don't like it? Change your mind. You don't think it's the best way? Change your mind. Because... Your ways, compared to God, are foolishness. Foolishness. And if you can learn to define it that way, it's easier to change your mind. Rather than digging in your heels and living under a curse. Time to stop. Time to stop. And it's time to allow, allow God to rule, to really be God. See, disobedience by its nature creates a negative condition. It's taking away. And it will continue to take away as long as you choose to live in disobedience. Obedience creates a multiplication condition where even the low number is awesome disobedience is foolishness and creates by its nature a negative condition in your life where you're just going to lose and you're going to keep losing the people he was speaking to you don't have to go any further the, the, the nation of Israel that he's speaking to here you look at their history when they obeyed what happened? When they disobeyed, what happened? You know. And you think about, what do I mean by negative condition? Think about Jesus. He told a parable of a guy that was going off into a different country, and he chose three servants. And he gave the one, he said, I'll give you five talents. I'll give you five pieces of, of money. I'll give you two pieces of money. And the third one, he said, I'll give you one piece of money. See you later. And so the Bible tells us that the one guy that had the five pieces of money 
over the time that his master was gone, he doubled it. He had ten pieces when he got back. The guy with two had four. The guy with one, he buried it in a hole in the ground, did nothing with it. And so when the master came back, he handed him back his one piece. And the guy's like, what's this? He's like, I, I knew you are tough, so I hid it. In other words, he lived in fear. And he hid that in the ground, and the master said, yeah, well, you're wicked. You are wicked and evil. And he took that piece and he handed it to the guy with ten. You see, it's a negative condition. Even what the guy had was taken away. And you can think that's cruel, but there's consequences of his non-action. What do you got to do in the gospel to live under the curse? What do you got to do? Nothing. 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 Even what you have will be taken away. Right? All he was describing is this is the way it goes. This is one of those spiritual laws of the universe. Jesus was describing the spiritual law of the universe. And some of you sat there, when I just said that, you sat there and you said to yourself, well, that doesn't seem fair. You know what you need to do with that? Change your mind. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're disagreeing with the God of the universe, and you're wrong. It's foolishness. You're creating a negative condition by even holding that in your head. Okay, I was a little mean with that, but that's what I meant. <laughs> Everything I just said was true. We need to change our minds. When you begin to get in line with what God is saying, and when you get on board with what he's doing. That's where blessing is. That's where life multiplied is. So where's that? And so I encourage you toward that. I encourage you toward that. Anybody have any questions, comments? All right. Let's take a few moments and respond. And I do want to give you an opportunity to respond. Just as we're sitting before him, I, I want to encourage you that if you're not a listener, if you have trouble paying attention because you live in your head so much, ask God to heal you. Really, really ask him, beg him even to heal you tonight so that you can actually pay attention to things that are going on around you. You can actually pay attention to what people are saying. And God knows what he's saying. That, that you'd be able to pay attention to what he is saying. Because I'll give you a clue that God speaks through other people sometimes to you. Now, if you're not listening, you don't hear it. You just don't hear it. You might hear blah, 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 or the teacher in Charlie Brown, but you don't know, you don't have any idea what he's really saying because you're really not listening, you're not paying attention, and you're not taking action on what is being said. And so beg God to heal you tonight. That you get out of your head. That you get out into a reality with everybody else and live there. I also want to encourage you to understand your choices. To understand your choices. And to allow your mind to really consider the choices before you. And don't keep it kind of fuzzy. Don't keep it gray, because it's not. There's a real word that's given here, a real word of contrast that's given here between two things. And the idea of it is there's a, a lifestyle and there's an attitude in us of obedience. There's a, a disposition, there's a lean to our life like we're leaning into disobedience. I mean really just putting our eggs, I mean in, leaning into obedience or disobedience, but leaning in putting our eggs into whatever basket it is. I want to encourage you to lean into obedience. I want to encourage you to get away from the rebellion, to get away from the pride, to get away from the disobedience. 
Because that takes a lot of effort to be going to other things. That lean could be going into obedience. That lean could be going in to doing what God's called you to do. That lean could be going into so many other things. And so if you deal with pride and you deal with disobedience in your life, I want to encourage you to beg God to take those away, cleanse you tonight, in Jesus' name. Just ask Him to cleanse your heart and cleanse your mind. To uproot pride in you. To dig it out and to get rid of it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So let's lean into some obedience tonight. Let's really put our, our eggs in that basket. Let's put our effort into that basket. In that direction. Thank you, Lord. God has changed for us tonight. He has a newness of heart, a renewal of heart for us tonight. He has life for us tonight. If we just lean into that. Have your way, Jesus. Let's take a moment, respond. Let the Holy Spirit speak. Let Him minister. Let Him deliver and set you free if He needs to. Change your mind if you need to. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, God. So, God, we say thanks for your love over us. We say thanks for your offer of life and that more abundantly. Pray, God, that we would not live some weird life with one foot in and one foot out because there's no life at all. And so I pray that you would cleanse us of lies, cleanse us of the lies even of well-meaning people in our life. And I pray that we would fully embrace your word, and fully embrace the obedience that you call us to. We'll give you thanks tonight. We'll give you honor and praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community, like the community dad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.